nine times out of ten or more, that judgment is about the world outside of you, which we obsess on because we think that's where our problems are. The problems, <laughs> the problems are not out there. The problem is in here. If you understood it, it wouldn't be a problem, right? So turn within. That just doesn't occur to us. We'd rather change the world, become politically and socially active so that we can enjoy some personal benefit. And of course, uh, we do that with love too. We want somebody to love us so that we're then able to love others. We're working the program backwards in both regards. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Wisdom of the Soul, presented by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I really appreciate you joining us live whenever you can, and when you're unable to for any reason, by usually 24 hours, by midday Monday, this is posted on YouTube in its entirety, and uh, an edited version is also posted as a podcast, although there's about a week or 10-day delay on that. But uh, the podcast, by the way, goes back, gosh, uh, to 2008. What is that, 15 years? I have about 580 episodes on that podcast stream. Also, Ageless Wisdom, Mystery School, a variety of iterations. Some are webinars. Uh, some of them we take telephone calls. Uh, some are quite short, and some go on. <laughs> Many of them include guided imagery meditations. And uh, it's interesting to me that emotional intelligence is such an important portal or doorway to spiritual development. After all, why do we do this? We talked about this yesterday in the salon. Why do we care? Why are we interested in such things? Why do you guys come to a class like this? Well, we want to get rid of our frustration, our anxiety, our discontent, our suffering, our anger, even our alienation and victimization. Wouldn't it be nice to drop that? and just replace it with some contentment and some happiness and maybe even joy. So the reason many spiritual traditions really fail to teach what people want to learn and they end up feeling as if they're spinning their wheels or they jump from one teacher to another teacher is that, I was going to say many of them, I'll say most spiritual traditions, skip the personal development. They ignore, sidestep, or do an end run around emotional intelligence. And 
you can't. You can't do that. You've got to go into and through emotional intelligence to find love on a higher turn of the spiral, so to speak, to develop that consciousness and expand your awareness, your your insight and your understanding. You have to have a sense of responsibility for your emotions, for how you feel, not, not just about the conditions that you're in, which is what we obsess on, but how we feel about what's our response to the situation. That's what we can control. We tend to try to control the stimulus, control the world around us, control what's already happened. <laughs> and the idea of managing our response to it and just accepting reality, acknowledging the truth of the situation you're in, and then managing your response, that that seems to escape a lot of us. It may seem a little odd, but it's true that we have to develop the persona, the personality, the ego, the small self, in order to transcend it. It's just the way of things. So... Uh, We've got the salon on Saturdays. Go to michaelbenner.com and click on personal development. You can read about that. And uh, then the private intensive as well. First one's free. No obligation. We want to set that up. We're going to talk today about free will and karma. Uh, This is a complex and challenging subject to discuss because it's so nuanced. And before we do a meditation here at the top of the class, I would just like to say that we so often talk about the amygdala, which is that small structure of uh, neurons at the base of the skull in the limbic brain, so-called the emotional center, that we think of as the fight-or-flight center. It's an actual brain structure called the amygdala. And in people who are frightened or easily frightened, confused, distracted, anxious, reactionary in their behavior, feeling very alienated, that amygdala tends to be larger than average. And in people who meditate, who particularly mindfulness meditation, or Vipassana, the amygdala has been shown to literally shrink. Imagine that. Meditation shrinks the fight-or-flight center. You become less afraid. And it grows the gray matter and the white matter of the brain. You actually can grow, even if you're 40, 50, 60 years old, you can grow literally the size and weight of your brain through mindfulness meditation, to paying attention to the present, to this eternal unfolding instant, and letting go of your worries or concerns or regrets about the past and your anticipation of the future. That's where all your anxiety lives, in the past and the future regrets and resentments from the past and those shadowy fears of what may be. Reality lives in the present moment. And to be able to watch in meditation or then as you open your eyes and move about in your 
daily life and affairs, to pay attention to what's happening right now and doing it without judgment. A lot of people define meditation, mindfulness meditation, and they leave that part out. Oh, it's just paying attention to the present moment. It's noticing what you notice. Yeah, but don't leave out that. (laughs) That's a critical element without judgment, you see, because judgment shuts you down on understanding. And nine times out of ten or more, that judgment is about the world outside of you, which we obsess on because we think that's where our problems are. The (laughs) The problems are not out there. The problem is in here. If you understood it, it wouldn't be a problem, right? So turn within. That just doesn't occur to us. We'd rather change the world, become politically and socially active so that we can enjoy some personal benefit. And, of course, uh, we do that with love, too. We want somebody to love us so that we're then able to love others. We're working a program backwards in both regards. Turn it around. Change yourself. Love yourself and give that to the world. Uh, Personal transformation is the answer. It's what I've dedicated my life to. And and I know uh, countless numbers of people in my life who, through that devotion, that dedication to developing the self, the suffering and the discontent falls away. And it's easier to be happy and even joyous, which is happy for no reason. And also, any concern that you may have, this may not be an issue for you, but it was for me for a while. Any concern that you have that this kind of self-improvement or self-help or self-interest or self-regard or self-love is going to make you selfish and self-centered and arrogant and pompous and conceited and all full of yourself, exactly the opposite is true. It's a beautiful thing to realize that the better you understand yourself, the more humble you become. Not in a meek, shy, oh, I can't do that kind of a, you know, introverted way. Humility is simply understanding that everyone is an equal part of one thing. Nobody is more important than anybody else. And that's not limited to the human kingdom. The animals are as important. Our domestic animals, our wild animals, are every bit as important as we are. Even insects, as... uh, much as we think of them as vermin and pests, <laughs> pestilence, look at the honeybee collapse. That's already beginning to impact uh, food and agriculture, moths as well. These insects play an important role in pollinating not only food crops, but other plants. And There's a delicate balance here. I'm not going to lecture you on environment and ecosystem, I'm talking about a kind of humility that allows us to recognize that everything is important in this ecosystem, this life support system.
So we need to honor and respect the animals and the plants and the and the minerals, the elements, and see it as all part of one whole thing. But just on the human level, not to compete and degrade and demean and uh, seek a kind of power that allows you to dominate other people. Best you lift them up. I've done a lot of corporate seminars where the emphasis was on teaching managers and executives to lift up their employees instead of hold them down. The major dysfunctions in business, I'm not sure how many of you are business people, supervisors, managers, executives, but the tendency is to hold on to your own power and your own position to delegate responsibility, but to withhold the authority that the people you manage need. And if we would delegate authority with the responsibility, then we create a leadership engine that drives people up through the chain of command, up the ladder of success. You want to always be training your replacement so that you can move up means you've got to let go of the holding on. <laughs> we see that in business. We see that need in life as well. The primary point I want to make about karma and free will is that this is not a matter of either or. The reason I was talking about the amygdala was that that's what, it's, it's really that brain structure plus the fact that our brain is really two brains in one, a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, that we tend to see everything as an either-or, anything that's different as an opposite. It's the amygdala more than any other structure in the brain that divides the world into us and them. And so we see an issue like uh, free will or volition and determinism or predestination or karma as so different that they must be opposite. And then we have a great debate, like the debate between creationism and evolution. You know, it's got to be one or the other. It couldn't possibly be both. I don't know why not. So the truth is that both free will and karma play a role in our lives. And what I'd like to do today is talk about the nuances of that. How could both things be true? How could we be constrained by karma and still have free will? And if we have free will, then how does karma work? And so I'll, I'll, I'll explain that uh, today. We'll talk a little about that. Based on the larger metaphysical concept and really core principle in metaphysics, that energy follows thought. And that essentially who and what we are is consciousness. What does that mean? It means we're, we're not our thoughts. And when I say energy follows thoughts, there are deliberate and purposeful thoughts which are intentional and karma comes from intention 
But there are also the task unrelated thoughts, as if the mind has its own agenda. So-called intrusive thoughts that just bubble up on their own. When we're not applying our mind to a particular task, like I'm going to write this down, or I'm going to balance my checkbook, or I want to read this book, or make a decision or set a goal. Those are task-related, TRT, that's what brain researchers call them, task-related thinking. And you sort of put the mental uh, car into gear, ease out the clutch as you press on the accelerator and you direct your mind into a particular activity. But there are large blocks of time in our daily lives when we're idling in neutral and we're really not going anyplace or doing anything purposeful or intentional. There's no intent behind it. And the mind continues to think. It's arguable whether you could even call it thinking. Most of us do. Hey, Bill, we see Bill staring out the window. Hey, Bill, what are you, th- what are you thinking about? Penny for your thoughts. Oh, nothing. Nothing much. Just, you know, thinking. But are you really, or are you watching your mind generate these task-unrelated thoughts, these intrusive thoughts, which are largely negative, filled with self-doubt, fears of anxiety and self-loathing? What if we study that? What if we became the awareness behind it and could elevate our perspective and look as if non-attached? I want to say detached, but that would be oblivious. Just unhook, (laughs) become non-attached, step back, and watch that happen. I love this concept. This is largely what we work on in the Saturday Salon is developing that awareness of your thoughts as if awareness and thoughts are two levels to this. I mean, some thoughts you're more aware of, some patterns of thinking, some belief systems we're more aware of and others not so aware of. Why do you think that? Why do you believe that's true? Well, I don't know. Everybody thinks that's true. Or why do you feel the way you feel? A lot of what occurs in those task-unrelated thoughts are influences of karma. And so we think we have free will, but a lot of the choices that are presented to us are karmic in nature. And so... I think you're getting a sense already that karma is more than, far more than a system of reward and punishment. It's it's more akin to cause and effect. Uh, there are consequences for the way we think and the actions that we take, but it's really the intention behind it all. And most of us are not aware of ourselves as intentional creatures. We think, but we don't really observe our thinking. It would take 
meditation, wouldn't it? We feel, but it's hard for us to get above it and look at the feeling and understand it. Usually all we all we know to do is think about it. And I suspect you've noticed by now that thinking about feelings doesn't <laughs> does doesn't really help. You just spin your wheels. You've got to feel a feeling and identify as the awareness of it. And where do we go for reinforcement on this? Who, who are you going to talk to about this? Most people have no interest at all. No interest in this at all. So you do because you're here. And others who are here and the people who watch the YouTube video and listen to the podcast, take heart. There are many, many people that are working on this. That's where we're at. That's the, this is the cutting edge of, of where we are in terms of human evolution, is recognizing that there is an element above thought, feeling, and behavior, or thought, feeling, behavior, and perception of the world. Or to make it simple, just thoughts and perceptions. That's what the mind is. It's thoughts and perceptions. But consciousness reigns above that. Are you aware of being aware? Do you notice what you notice? I love the Eckhart Tolle story in one of his first books. He said he was really, really depressed. And one day he said to himself, I hate, I hate myself when I feel like this. And the second thought that occurred to him was, wait a minute, if I hate myself when I'm depressed, how many of me are there? <laughs> there's the part that's depressed and there's the part that is frustrated with being depressed. How many, how many of me are there? And I think of Alice in Wonderland with the hookah-smoking caterpillar and the caterpillar asks that great question of self-inquiry. Who are you? Well, Alice had been eating mushrooms, and she got really big, and then she had the little sip of the whatever was in the bottle, and she got really small and almost drowned in a river of her tears. So she's been tripping, and she answers the caterpillar by saying, Well, I don't know because I'm not myself, you see. I'm not myself. You are not yourself, the one you presume yourself to be, any more than you are the character in the video game you play or the person you identify with in the TV or the, or the film that you're watching. We forget that we're the observer, that we can stand back. And that allows us to make better choices and improve our karma. To use free will to transcend the, the bonds of karma so that the karma that we generate becomes more and more virtuous and more and more pleasant. Let's do a meditation. And then we'll talk more about free will and karma. If you close your eyes and relax, get settled in your chair. 
See the surface of the water above you reaching for it. You break the surface and open your eyes now. Wide awake. Eyes open now. Wide awake. Back in room. Feeling fine. Maybe stretch a little bit. Ah, take another nice, slow, deep breath and wake yourself up. Gently stamp your feet on the floor. Do a wiggle. Do a shake. Come back into your body. Feel your physical body. And the chair supporting you back in the room. Christ's teaching that we reap what we sow is a wonderful, wonderful allegory for how karma works, cause and effect, the consequences, not only of our action, but not even our thought, but the intention behind it. If you have a good, moral, virtuous intention, you're trying, and you screw up, you're not going to generate harmful painful karma as a result. The karma you'll generate will be a reflection of your good intention. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Okay? Even those who don't deserve it. (laughs) Forgive them anyway. Forgiveness, of course, is a gift to yourself because uh, you put it down. You put down the grudge. You put down the the pain you put down, the discomfort. Why? We think we're punishing the other by holding on to our anger, and we're the one who suffers. Buddha talks about throwing a burning coal at somebody because you're angry at them. All you do is burn your hand. Sort of a silly thing to do, but we do it. We're going to teach them. We're going to send them straight. Can't let them get away with it. That's my job to fix the whole damn universe and ignore myself. Karma is not something that happens to you. It's life moving through you. Everything is karmic. The reality that you see before you is not objective. It's actually quite subjective. And you are the subject. Whatever you consider yourself to be a separate individual banging around as a form in a world of separate forms or an overshadowing soul above and free of form or the almighty source itself. You are the subject. You are the infinite subject. You are infinite consciousness. But the brain filters that out. And so consciousness becomes very limited and very focused, mostly on a selfish self, a separative self that is struggling to survive in a dangerous world where everyone and everything is out to get you. And, of course, uh, politicians exaggerate that. They're going to protect you from the people who are out to get you. And advertising is based on that, not just shortage, but, you know, you smell bad, you need this product, uh, you look funny, you need these clothes, you can't drive that jalopy, what do people think? You need a better car. Oh, and somebody's going to run into it, so you need this insurance, but it, and it goes on and on. 
all fear. Madison Avenue is all fear. Politics is all fear. Oh, let's go to church. It's all fear. You're a sinner. You're a bad person. You're going to hell. Right? Just more advertising. You need what I have. We always are told that what we need, we have to get from someone else. The idea that we have everything that we need, that we are what we're looking for, just doesn't occur to us. And if it does, it doesn't get reinforced. Who are you going to talk to about it? What if everything I need is available to me? What if I have the love I'm looking for? What if I am the love I'm looking for? What we are looking for is the one who is looking. How about if I say it that way? What you're looking for is the one who is looking. Here's another way to say it. They use the word God, which I'm always a little hesitant to do because it brings up images of this old guy in the cloud. The absolute. There's a great roomy line. I searched for God and found myself. I searched for myself. I found God. There is no separation other than an appearance. So how do we develop the consciousness to realize that? Through karma. And if you go with the allegory of the garden, that whatever a person sows, that's what we reap. So what you experience in your life is not punishment or reward, but simply the impersonal consequences of our actions, our thoughts, and most fundamentally, the intention behind it. So these are the conditions of the situation in which we find ourselves. Karma is your life. There's nothing in your life that's not karmic. A consequence of your consciousness. And we could say in this life and in past lives, but all of this is actually happening, happening outside of space and time. What space and time does is contribute to the idea of separation. Time separates, space separates. It's with our thinking that we separate past, present, and future. It's our thoughts that use time to separate, not now, from the present moment. It's a distance between events. That's what the mind does. Our perception creates the separation of space. Our feelings and our perception of the world through physical sense and sensation. The mind creates the illusion of time. It's our perception of the world physical sensation and emotions that creates the separation of space. But it's all an illusion. You've seen optical illusions. You've looked at those various types of optical illusion where I like that, uh, what do they call them? There's just magical paintings where you stare at this, this you just see dots, multicolored dots, and then if you stare at it long enough, suddenly this 
this 3D image pops out of it. It's like your brain had to learn to see it. There are stories about uh, photographs being shown to primitive tribes a hundred years ago. They had never seen a photograph and they they couldn't make it out. They couldn't see depth in the photograph. The brain just couldn't perceive that third dimension of depth. They just saw height and width and this flat sheet of paper. But you understand the optical illusion. Spend a half an hour with a book of Escher drawings. The same thing. Realities assembled in our heads. The influences that cause people to say that there's no free will, even though you seem to be choosing. This is where this gets nuanced, this free will versus karma. Karma creates the condition. Everything is karmic. Everything is a reflection of you. Ten people in the same situation are making ten different sets of judgments about it based on ten unique belief systems. You say, well, within that, Michael, I heard you say we have free will. We do, but the nuance is that our choices are also limited by karma and a variety of other influences, our education and our experience and the personality traits that we've adopted in our attempt to play some character, some role, because we have no real sense, generally speaking, of who we are. We just presume that we have to play a role of some kind. We see that most significantly in the sociopath and the narth uh, narthopath, <laughs> the psychopath, the sociopath, the narcissist, for example. It's not the only form of sociopathy sociopathy, the narcissist, the paranoid schizophrenic. A narcissist will lie because, or maybe better said, will justify lying because they think everybody else is lying. They're faking it because they think everybody else is faking it. And the deal is you just got to be a better liar and better at making up this uh, character. And every day is Halloween. For these people. It's like, what costume do I want to put on? Who do I want to be? Who, who am I characterizing? What? How do I want to be perceived rather than who am I really? And then present that authentically to the world. How do I want to be perceived? Narcissists and, and uh, similar personality disorders have this uh, major obsession on appearance, how they are perceived by other people, what other people think of them. And they tend to be really over the top in, in the way they dress or the car they drive or the house they live in. These things get very important to them because they have no idea who they are. So petitioning other people for acceptance. Well, all of us have a bit of that. It's not so severe that 
we lied to everybody about everything. You can decide not to lie. You can decide to do your best to be an authentic and genuine individual to plumb the depths of your character, but we're still casting about a bit. It takes a lot of experience, a significant amount of maturity to settle in with a sense of truth about who I really am and present that to the world. But all of that affects, don't you see, the free will, the choices that we have to make with our volition. So it's not an either-or, karma or free will. It's both. The karma is the condition. This condition, that condition, every condition is a reflection of your consciousness. Everything is because energy follows thought. You know, manifestation is a big deal in the so-called New Age community. There are a lot of teachers that pose themselves as spiritual teachers that are teaching you to use metaphysical or spiritual laws to manifest prosperity in your life. There's a large part of evangelical fundamentalism that has perverted itself to a so-called prosperity gospel that God wants you to be rich even though <laughs> even though Christ said Give away all of your things and follow me. That a rich person has as much chance to experience enlightenment or go to heaven, so to speak, as a camel has to pass through an eye of a needle. Store your riches in heaven and not on earth, where moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through in the night. Store your riches in heaven, not on earth. What prosperity gospel? Why would you use spiritual laws to generate material wealth and prosperity? The idea is to use laws and principles of manifestation. Energy follows thoughts, or you could say thoughts create reality. That small r reality is an outpicturing of the capital R reality, consciousness, awareness, love. To manifest yourself as a better person. I suggest prosperity will follow on its own. You'll be supported. Things will, things will fall into place. What did Christ say? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and then all things will come upon you. You don't search. This is, this is nonsense. This is just, I don't want to use obscenities on this podcast. Um, this is wrong-headed thinking. Change yourself to change the world. And so understand, karma is the big picture. That's the condition you find yourself in. Free will is what am I going to do with it? This person yelled at me and insulted me. Well, my reflexive reaction is to get angry and yell back at them and insult them. With practice, we could decide to return that negative with a positive and change the world. You say, well, you're not changing very much of the world. Well, okay. You just have to settle for that. I changed the world a little bit. I think there's a certain art 
to getting pleasure out of doing little things. Hell, I, I hosed off my barbecue yesterday, got some cleaner, wiped it down, and put a cover on it and felt like I had accomplished something really big. <laughs> I spent 10 minutes cleaning up my grody barbecue and felt like I had changed the world. You know, I can change a light bulb and feel good about having done something constructive today. You've heard me say it before, but it bears repeating. I just love the old Shantideva quote, to avoid injuring your feet and sticks and stones, you could cover the world with leather. That's what most of us do. And he said, wouldn't it just be easier to wear sandals? Stop trying to change the world to save yourself. Fix yourself, heal yourself, know yourself, grow yourself, and express that out into the world. Be the awareness of the karmic conditions that we experience and the awareness that you have volition to choose your response. And be less concerned with the outpicturing of consciousness, the material world, and what you can get so that you can give and turn it around so that you focus on giving out of your bounty and not needing anything in return, though you will. It'll, it'll be multiplied and come back on you in great abundance, but it's giving to receive, not receiving to give. It's sowing and then reaping. You don't bring in the harvest before you think about planting seeds. Let's get it straight. Karma and free will. Wow.